They're not saying we're the ones that are being this. We're fighting for the people who don't have what we have and want equal treatment. Uh, and you hope it's a turning point. Um, but then again, you know, the Jacob Blake thing happened. And uh, this has been a rough year on a lot of levels uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, if there was ever a year that could use a, a term in golf called a mulligan, it would be 2020. But it would be disingenuous of me or anybody to say, well, this is a, just a 2020 thing. This has been going on forever. And I think that's the, that's the reason Emmanuel Acho, who now works for Fox and used to work for us, has that thing. We need to have some uncomfortable conversations. And some of us need to listen and some of us need to speak. And some of us that have been speaking for a long time are probably the ones that need to shut up and listen. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Duo Sports and Stuff podcast. My name is Deontay Epps and my brother Dane could not join us this afternoon, but I am joined by ESPN personality Trey Wingo. Trey, appreciate you so much for stepping in and taking Dane's place for the day. <laughs> Happy to do it. And, uh, you know, Dane, you're lost, man. I, I guess your children are more important. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, who needs who needs kids? No, I'm just joking. Dane, appreciate you, man. And Trey, especially appreciate you coming on um, to uh, join me on this episode, man. It really means a lot. So ESPN, man, you know, it's the wide worldwide leader in sports. How, how did you get to where you are now? And did you see yourself in your position now when you were coming up into the profession? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people... Uh, sort of send tapes into ESPN and hope that uh, something works out. I never sent a tape into ESPN. Um, I was working in St. Louis, Missouri in the mid nineties or early nineties. And I I came back from doing a story and there was a note on my desk that said, call this guy named Al Jaffe at ESPN or not ESPN, just call Al Jaffe. And I, and I looked at the area code and I'm from Connecticut originally. I was born in New York and grew up in a town called Greenwich right outside New York. And uh, it was a 203 area code. So I knew 203 was Connecticut. I'm like, Who's calling me from Connecticut? And then I realized that at that time, the guy named Al Jaffe was the uh, talent coordinator, hiring guy, whatever you want to call it, uh, for ESPN. So I was like, wow. Apparently somebody had sent in a tape of me to them. I didn't have an agent at the time, so he didn't do it. Uh, I still don't know to this day where he got it from, but that sort of started the process. uh, And it took a few years to get that going because I was under contract at that time. But uh, did I see myself doing this when I started? No. When I was at Baylor, I changed my major five times, right? Uh, I started out as radio TV, and then I went to journalism, and then I went to speech. Then I went to communications. And three months before I graduated, They said, uh, listen, if you're a speech major, you need another lab science. And I said, well, I'm clearly not a speech major. (laughs) So I changed my major to a communication specialist, whatever that is, so I could graduate uh, on time. And then I got out and I got a job as an account executive at a PR firm uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, and I, I just hated it. Uh, you know, I, I locked my office every day and read the sports pages and realized I probably should try this other thing uh, and give it a shot. And I did. And it took a long and winding road through a bunch of different places. But uh, that's how I ended up at ESPN for 23 years. 
That's awesome. That that reminds when you were talking about switching majors, I went to Baylor and I came in as a statistics major because I love math in high school and that lasted a semester. Yeah. And I'm like, man, let me find something I want to do that's like something I feel like I could do for the rest of my life. And so I ended up switching to film and digital media and a minor in communication. And little did I know I'm actually doing it and teaching it. I'm teaching like technology classes and stuff like that. So I, I definitely understand coming from that realm of doing something that you want to do and having a passion for it and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think the two biggest lies we tell kids is that 18, they're supposed to know what they want to do with the rest of their life. And then when you graduate at 22, whatever your degree is in, that's what you'll do for the rest of your life. It's, it rarely works out that way unless you're a, you want to be a, some sort of structural engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> uh, rarely right. is that the case. Right. For uh, For me growing up, you know, most kids it's cartoons. And for me, it was like that for a while, like eight, nine years old, but I've, I was always into sports. Um, I always had a football, basketball, something in my hand. And that translated to what I wanted to see on TV. So I watched cartoons for a while. And then waking up before school, it was always sports center, sports center, watching highlights. I would, and you know, back then it's, it does it now a little bit, but you will watch the same hop because sports center would run the reruns over and over right. <laughs> every yeah. morning. And so like I would memorize everything <laughs> by the third or fourth time. And so seeing all those personalities for me was amazing. Stuart Scott, of course, was a big admiration and inspiration for me. And um, seeing like you and Dan Patrick, Rich Eyes and those guys, what what has been your favorite part about being a part of uh, ESPN? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Um, I, I've done almost everything that I've ever wanted to do at ESPN, you know, whether it's cover the Olympics, which I did uh, in 2002, the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, the U.S. Open tennis, Wimbledon tennis, U.S. Open golf, uh, British Open golf, PGA championships, NBA finals, World Series, Super Bowls, uh, NBA All-Star games. Uh, I've been really fortunate. But for me, my favorite sport was always football, specifically the NFL. So to be able to do NFL Live, that show for 15 years was great. Uh, to be able to host the draft was has been amazing. I always so, watch you during the draft, yeah. man. It's, it's thank <laughs> you. It's fun. Like the draft is the only true reality television show there is, right? Because <laughs> anybody knows that there's no reality in reality television. Right. We have no idea what's going to happen, and this year specifically, we had no idea what was going to exactly. happen with the virtual draft. So you just sort of strap in and, and enjoy the ride, and, and that's. That's what I really liked a lot. Uh, just, you know, you having to just be, think fast on your feet and, and get through it quickly and, and let the preparation that you put in all those days, weeks and months at a time mm-hmm. come to the surface. Uh, that, that's that's been a lot of fun. You mentioned being on a set of NFL Live, the draft and stuff like that. Um, you, you shared the set with Darren Woodson for a number of years. Yeah, Any memorable moments on set? <laughs> Any memorable moments on set with him? Oh, look, Darren's the best. Uh, you know, his his first day at ESPN is one of the worst things that anybody ever had to go through. Long story short, uh, Darren was supposed to just observe this first day he was here. And then Jerry Rice retired as a Denver Bronco. In oh, training. wow. Well, obviously, if Jerry Rice is there, we got Darren Woodson in the building who, you know, they played him three straight years in the NFC Championship game and the Cowboys won twice. Uh, you know, the back and forth between those two. So, we said, now, listen, Darren, I know it's just an observation day, but we really would like your insights today on Jerry Rice. So we used to do these things called instant analysis, which is where 
the analyst just looks into the camera like I'm looking now and they say, give us like 30 seconds on your, your memories of Jerry Rice. This is Darren's first time in front of a camera doing this. Okay. <laughs> and I, and we just did a, we did a podcast. I just was on his show. Uh, I think it dropped last week. We talked about it then. Okay. It literally took him 57 takes to spit out <laughs> 30 seconds of staring into the camera and trying to get some recollections of what he thought about Jerry Rice. Cause it's hard, you know, you're right. You know, people just say, Oh, give me 30 seconds. Well, who has a 30 second clock in their head that says, I, I know to stop when 30 seconds are up, you know, right. it's not something that comes naturally. So I was sitting on the set with him and I was trying to talk to him and say, okay, you know, here, I'm going to ask you the question off camera. And then you just look into the camera and go, and it took a long, <laughs> long, long so time. He, so he but, wasn't using a teleprompter or anything. No, it was no, just no. It's nothing like that. No, just, just his thoughts, his, his extemporaneous thoughts. And Darren and I became really, really fast friends. He came to a couple of surprise birthday parties for me. Uh, when Jerry World opened in 2009, I took my son, who was then in high school, and a couple of his buddies. And we all crashed at Darren's house. We went up to Del Frisco's in Dallas the night before. We all went to the game together. So Darren and I have become fast friends. And that's one of the things that I've really loved about my time at ESPN, especially on NFL Live, is all these guys that I enjoyed watching grew up, we, we became boys, you know, right. uh, whether it's Darren or Mark Schlereth or Teddy Bruschi or Damian Woody or Ryan Clark, you know, all those guys, Herm Edwards, all those guys are now my friends. And no matter where they are now, like Herm's a Arizona State head coach. I still mm-hmm. talk to Herm all the time. I'm heading up to see him in a couple of bit. We'll play a little golf because he's not nice. coaching right now because the Pac-12 right. shut down their season. Man. So that, that's been a really fun thing for me. The guys that I enjoyed watching with, that I got to work with, and now we're friends. And it's, it's really great. That's awesome. If Dane was here, he would tell you for sure. We're, we're diehard video gamers. We love video games. We love playing against each other. New Madden we- just came out. There you go. <laughs> There you go. The new the new Madden just dropped. Yeah, for sure. You worked on Madden as well. You had some time Madden and also way back in the day with the ESPN NFL 2K5 franchise. What's it like working on a video game, man? Well, I tell you, it's a lot of work. I mean, like I've done I've done I'm still doing stuff for Madden. I still do. I did for the NFL 2K5. I did something called NFL Head Coach. Uh, I remember that which game. Which was another one. I think we also did not NFL Street. It might have been NFL Street. Uh, NFL Tour. Yeah, NFL. Yeah, they had rebranded it. I mean, it yeah, it's there's a lot of hours spent in a recording booth, man. You know, trying to do as many different lines as you can come up with, and they have these scripts that are just you know this thick, and it's just names and numbers and catchphrases, and you just say them again and again. And again, right. like the finished product is great, but I'm telling you, like to voice that stuff in a video game, it takes time. Now, I was right. happy to do it and it all worked <laughs> out great, but it it is not a layup. Let's just put it that way. Right. You spend a lot of like I go into the booth, like, you know, do three hours before work, then go do the show, then go back and do three more hours after work. And that was like four or five days in a row. And at the end of that, you, you can barely let alone uh, say anything, but put a you know, cognitive sentence together. So right. it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed all of it. That's awesome. You said they let you, I mean, they gave you a script. So are you able to like freestyle, be a creative with it yeah, a little bit? I mean, like th- there's certain things you have to do, you know, everybody's name, number, bunch of plays, all this kind of stuff. And then they do some extemporaneous things. Okay, let's try this, do this and do it a million times. And it's like, you know, the worst thing you always hear is like, hey, that was great. 
but let's do it one more time. That was amazing. <laughs> Can we get one more take? That was really, really good. Now let's try this. And that just goes on and on and on. So it, it is it is a labor laborious process. Absolutely. Right. But it was real. It's been, it, look, I, I still do it. It's a lot of fun. The, the way you mentioned it reminds me, I was a sports reporter for a little bit. So it reminds me like doing takes, multiple takes, like, okay, stand-ups. let's do it again. Right. Stand-ups. Yeah. Exactly. Doing it over and over. Oh, we mentioned Baylor before. We're both graduates. Sikkim. Sikkim. The roller coaster of the last few years, 10 years or so with the pro- the program specifically, yeah. um, did you think that they would be back to near top tier of college athletics after everything that went on a few years ago? I had a lot of faith in Matt. Uh, Matt's a friend of mine and he's going to do great things in Carolina. But, you know, just like when I was at Baylor, we went to a bowl game every year. Grant Tapp was the head coach. And then when Grant left, we sucked for like two decades, yeah. you know, and then we got good again. <laughs> Uh, and then the whole art thing, which we can go into it if you want. There's a lot of layers to that. Um, yeah. And obviously, for a lot of reasons, that time, not just art, but everything associated with the program, that was a problem. Um, and then Matt came in. And listen, Matt is a is a is a architect. You know, he did it at Temple, back-to-back 10-win seasons. And in his three seasons at Baylor, to see the things they were able to do, I knew that Matt was not long for Baylor because, first of all, he came from the NFL. And you do that kind of rebuild from one to six to 11 in three years, it's going to catch a lot of people's attention. So, right. you know, Matt and I talked a lot during the process and uh, I'm, I'm really happy that he's at Carolina. And I think they got one of the best possible guys they could have gotten Dave Aranda, you know, who's a long time highly thought of assistant head coach or a defensive coach at, at uh, LSU. And I, I, I think he's going to do a great job. Unfortunately, uh, obviously this year is going to be really weird with the way everything right. is put together. But, um, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what he can do with the program. Likewise, likewise. And like I grew up an hour from Waco. So me growing up, they used to give free tickets to us to go see the games and because the program was obviously not where it was Terrible. and to see it. Yeah, exactly. To go up and down and then back up to where it is now is just an amazing sight to see. What is happening right now in in our world is probably the most important time in our history with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, fight against social injustices and stuff like that. And we've seen recently with the NBA stoppage, the Milwaukee Bucks, that kind of thing. It has spread to other leagues. Like you've seen other leagues take a stand as well with stoppages, wanting changes in the government uh, and social um, changes in, in, in what we're going through right now. In your opinion, is the NFL ready for that? Because as we know, four years ago when Colin Kaepernick took that knee, they they weren't ready. Yeah, you know, and again, 
people don't want to remember this or believe it, but you know, I, I used to get letters, like literally handwritten letters at ESPN saying I was making this up, but it was a former Green Beret from the state of Texas named Nate Boyer. Nate Boyer, yeah. Colin, that kneeling was respectful. And some people just don't want to hear that and they don't want to believe that. And, they, and some people just will never be okay with that. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. But it's also his prerogative to do that. And I think that's the thing that always gets lost on me. We as a country are great because we're allowed to think differently than each other. We're allowed to have differences of opinion. If we're all in the same lockstep, we all have to think the same way. That's not a democracy. That's a dictatorship. And I think that the most amazing thing to me, first of all, to answer your question, I think the NFL is ready. And I think the NFL realized that they weren't ready four years ago and they made mistakes. And, you know, Roger Goodell just had a... uh, uh, did a one-on-one with Emmanuel Acho, you know, uncomfortable conversations with a black man where he admitted we handled this incorrectly. And, you know, I think you're going to see people, uh, players speaking out and they don't, they're not concerned what people think anymore because they, they, they keep living in a time where they keep seeing things like, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, it was supposed to be a turning point. And then Jacob Blake is shot seven times in the back, uh, you know, and that's, that is unacceptable. That can't happen. And it's, I think it's easier for professional athletes to feel that way. What I've been really, really amazed at is how quickly college athletes have found that they have power and that they have a way with things. Just ask Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State head coach, how quickly he found out. Right. Uh, Mike Northrup, the new head coach of Florida State, when he, had, he put out something that you know, at best was misleading and his best player linebacker, Marvin Wilson, whom he did not recruit, you know, said, no, 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 that ain't right. And Northrop had to come correct on that. The most amazing thing to me over all this is how quickly college uh, athletes have discovered the power that they have. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it going forward, because, you know, when you get paid and you get paid handsomely, like, uh, most people do uh, in professional sports. Obviously, there's a sliding scale between a Patrick Mahomes contract and a rookie gunner on a special teams contract. But right. still, you know, it's a pretty decent, decent living. Um, I, I think that it's easier for those people to speak up and those those players to, to feel empowered and emboldened. Uh, it's been remarkable to see how quickly college athletes have realized we have a power and we have a platform and we are right. going to use it. And how many times coaches who have been the authoritarian figure for so long in college sports realize we not ha- we may not have as much authority as we once thought we did. And I, I think that balance and that shift is good for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Because the argument that I've heard that was like made me kind of look a certain way was like – the athletes, like the particular athletes that make millions and millions of dollars, the argument is what do they have to lose as far as, you know, they're making money? Why do why are they talking? They they have they're very wealthy. But to me, it's like fighting for the everyday person that doesn't have that voice, that aren't in those same situations. So that's that's my argument to that is like, man, they're they're fighting for people that look like them that don't have the opportunities, don't have that platform. Well, there's two parts to that, right? The first and foremost is, yeah, you know those guys when you see them on the floor or on the court or on the diamond or on the football field. But when those people aren't wearing that uniform and they aren't recognized like that, there's every chance that they – what the Milwaukee Bucks player that got arrested a few years ago uh, or last season, you know, he was just another another black man to a lot of people out there. And once you you don't wear that uniform – suddenly you don't have that same credo as you did when you're wearing that uniform. So that's part of it. 
And the other part is what you said. They're not saying we're the ones that are being this. We're fighting for the people who don't have what we have and want equal treatment. That's, you know, it's funny when people get upset about saying Black Lives Matter, right? The best way I can describe it is like when when Boston, the city of Boston suffered the bombing at the marathon, everyone said, hey, we're Boston strong. Did any other city say, why are you signaling out Boston? Why aren't we saying New York strong? Why aren't we saying this? Or, you know, when the Las Vegas shooting took place, People say, I stand with Vegas. Well, the city of Phoenix didn't say, well, how come you're not saying we stand with Phoenix? Why aren't you doing that? We realized at that moment there was a city that was hurting and needed our attention, so we stood with them. That's what Black Lives Matter means to me. It's not elevate us to where we're above people and excluding other people. It's like bring us up to where you are, and that's the point. That's the entire point for me. Right. And I totally agree, man. It's just like, just see it from our perspective, you know, like, like you're not walking in those shoes. Like people have come through and said, or been through certain things that you could never imagine. So it's just more like a walkthrough and be in their shoes kind of thing. Um, So hopefully I feel like this is a turning point as far as keeping the foot on the pedal. And especially with the NBA stoppage, I heard an argument about, okay, why are they going back to play? I mean, it was more or less them trying to, okay, we're here for a reason. Let's take a pause and let, what can we do right now with this platform to refocus and push the cause? So I agree. Uh, And you hope it's a turning point. Um, But then again, you know, the Jacob Blake thing happened and uh, I hope so. Uh, Look, this has been a rough year on a lot of levels uh, for, for a sure. variety of reasons. Um, if there was ever a year that could use a, a term in golf called a mulligan, it would be 2020, yeah. but it would be disingenuous of me or anybody to say, well, this is a, just a 2020 thing. This has been going on forever. And I think that's the, that's the reason Emmanuel Acho, who now works for Fox and used to work for us, has that thing. We need to have some uncomfortable conversations and some for of sure. us need to listen and some of us need to speak. And some of us that have been speaking for a long time are probably the ones that need to shut up and listen. season is less than two weeks away from opening night um everything has been good so far as far as the COVID-19 navigating through that as far as testing and we've seen a big success from the NBA as far as the bubble concept do you think the NFL should have went that direction I don't think it's possible for the NFL to bubble it's just too many teams too many players too long of a season too many people they are exploring the idea of a bubble for the playoffs, which I think is a really smart idea. I didn't, I didn't know that. Obviously, if you're someone that has home field advantage, and that's a big deal, especially at places like Arrowhead, uh, right. you know, uh, that might be problematic. But if there's a second wave in the winter, 
we're going to try and get through this thing. I, I think the bubble for the postseason might be the only thing that makes any sense at all. Uh, I thought last week was a huge week for the NFL because if you watch training camps and the way things were going, they were all wearing these devices that said, hey, you're too close, get away, six feet, we're all doing this. Last week they put on the pads and they put on the helmets and they started hitting each other. So you can do all the social distancing you want and you can wear right. a device. But at the when, the the whist- day, when the whistles blow, yeah, you yeah, can be right there. You got to hit somebody. You know, anybody that social distances on the field is a terrible football player. Let's just be <laughs> honest about it. So the idea that they could get through last week without an outbreak so far, I thought was an incredibly optimistic sign for the NFL. And I I had, or we had, Dane and I had Jay Billis on a few weeks ago, and we had, that was like right, literally the day we dropped that episode, um, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 decided that they weren't going to push for a fall 2020 season. Do you think that was too early for them to make that decision? Listen, I'm never going to tell somebody else what decision they should make. But I do have a question for every school in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the MAC and everybody else that isn't playing. You could effectively bubble a football team on campus. I mean, they they most always have their own dorms. Uh, Most of the learning on school is done online or remotely. Uh, They have their own uh, athletic facilities where they work out. Most of them have their own separate uh, cafeteria or commissary where they eat. So how can you tell me that it's safe for the general population of students who are living in dorms on top of each other, intermingling all the time, going to these classes, going to these massive cafeterias, walking around unfortunately. (laughs) How can you tell me it's safe for them, but it would be unsafe for a football team that is going to be much more effectively sheltered from outside contact. I'm not going to second guess anybody. And I have no idea if down the road where anybody's going to finish the college football season, but that to me seems disingenuous that you can say, Oh, these kids that are living four in a dorm, they'll be fine. But these athletes who we can really shelter more than any other student population, they'd be at risk. To me, this is not about, player safety as much as it is mitigating costs for lawsuits in my opinion right. uh, this, yeah. this was a way it's to a liability. say you know we don't want to get hit with a million lawsuits if something goes horribly wrong call me cynical been around a while see right. how the world works that's just my interpretation of it and i think i've read that Maybe the parents, some of the parents from the Big Ten are trying oh, to sue. Big, the, the Big Ten big, parents are not yeah. giving this up. They're not. Yeah. I, I have no idea to what extent it'll accomplish anything. But if, if I were one of their, if I was one of my kids, I'd fight for them. Absolutely. I've seen reports that there are rumors that they are trying to maybe think twice about it, maybe trying to start in Thanksgiving. Uh, do you think that's necessary? Like, Well, I mean, uh, here, here's, here's one thing that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're talking about player safety, how are you going to tell me we'll play a season in the spring and then we'll have summer football and then we'll play again in the fall? How's that even remotely a possibility? So let's just throw that one out. If you're having spring football in 2021, you're not having fall football in 2021. Right. That's not physically possible and safe for anybody. So if you're deciding to do that, you're basically saying we're going to shift the dynamic for a while. And are you okay with that? Because then what happens to all those top-level athletes who want to go into play in the NFL? How many of them are going to risk that spring season 
where they could get injured and their draft stock would be hurt dramatically. And I promise you, the NFL is not pushing the draft back. They're right. not doing that. I mean, they might they might push it for a couple of weeks, say to May, but they got a they got they got a schedule to meet of their own. And they're you want to talk about big bucks? How about a fifteen billion dollar a year industry in the National Football League? So, hmm. I mean. I think if you want to try and get in four or five games, if nothing else, fine, you can do that. But that bleep needs to be done by the end of January or you're kidding yourself. Switching back to the NFL, have you had a chance to watch Hard Knocks this season? Oh, yeah. Favorite part from Hard Knocks so far? Uh, Not seeing Sean McVay's shirt off, I can promise you that. (laughs) Maybe seeing Aaron Donald's shirt off. I I just – I, I hope that people understand when they're watching Hard Knocks with the Rams specifically. Well, first of all, two two takeaways. Anthony Lynn is an amazing head coach. We all know Sean McVay is an amazing head coach, but right. Anthony Lynn, the way he's led his team through this, I thought has been remarkable. I, I, really, I really hope it's opened some eyes for the average NFL fan just to understand the things that he's done and continues to do with his football team. But the other part of it is, look, it's quarterback-driven league. We all know that, right? Patrick Mahomes, I believe, is the is going to go down as the greatest quarterback to ever play. But there is not a player in the NFL that is head and shoulders above everyone else at his position than Aaron Donald is as an d- interior defensive lineman. The things that he's able to do, first of all, he's 6'2 and 285 pounds max. He's not you know, Snacks Harrison, Dontari Poe, you know, the recently injured Gerald McCoy for the Cowboys. He's not that guy. He's one third of that size. And he is a ridiculous freak. And the scrimmage that they had, and Aaron just blew up that entire scrimmage in the last episode. That's who he is every day. And every snap that he plays. Yep. It's, 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 it's a quarterback driven league and they're always going to get the, the accolades. But the best player in football by a wide, wide margin is Aaron Donald, and it's not even close. I would, I would agree with you definitely on that and the Anthony Lynn as well. Um, I'm a Broncos fan, so he would be my favorite coach if he, they weren't in my division. Yeah. And so <laughs> having to deal with him and then Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, we did. We did. I, I'm very fortunate for that because I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be a problem to deal with for a, a very problem, long time. Bro. Hey, yes. He's going to be a – in fact, look what the Broncos did, right? The Broncos, the Broncos offseason had the load back up. <laughs> All right, we got Philip Lindsay, but we're bringing in Melvin Gordon. We have Noah Fant, but we're drafting Albert O, the tight end out of Missouri. We have yes. Portland Sutton, but let's bring in Jerry, Jerry Judy. Okay, they are telling you we, got we a score. can't stop Patrick Mahomes. We need to try and find a way to score with him. Von Miller said it. Von yeah. Miller said it. You can't stop Patrick Mahomes. You can't. I mean, you can't shut him down. He's going to get his. We just got to hope we get a couple of sacks or a couple of turnovers, and the offense is going. Same thing with the Raiders. Josh Jacobs. Now they get uh, Henry Ruggs. Everybody in the AFC West knows what's coming, and it ain't going away for a while, man. Tyreek is under contract. Miko Hardman is under yep. contract. They got Travis Kelsey under contract. Sammy's under uh, contract. They got their best defensive player uh, oh. under contract. Uh, uh, you know, so they know uh, what, yes, what they they're do. dealing with and what they're going to have to deal with twice a year. That was the Broncos at four straight years. They won that division right. in the Peyton Manning era. And they did a great job, but that division, that, that division is going to be run by that, that dude in Kansas city for the next right. six or seven years at minimum. 
And I'm I'm shaking my head as you mentioned all that stuff because I definitely agree with that. And that's why I was very fortunate. I know a lot of people were skeptical about the NFL adding an extra playoff team, but I'm I'm over here. I'm like, thank you. This would be an opportunity for us to now, get I, in there. I will tell you this. I think Drew Locke is the guy. I like him. I like him a lot. And I will tell you that when he opted out of the draft in 2019 or 2018, a lot of people thought that he might have snuck into the first round that year. Right. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of teams. I, I can tell you without giving away anything, there were a lot of teams that were very interested in Drew Locke before he decided to come back for his senior year at Missouri. And I thought Drew acquitted himself very well down the stretch. He set up to have a big year. Right. I hope, hopefully we can sneak in there somehow. I went to a cow or cowboy Bronco game last year, but he wasn't starting yet. It was still Flacco and they played against the bears. I think we had a little bit more offense. We should be able to, uh, make some noise for sure. Yeah. The problem is they still got Garrett Bowles at left tackle. And that's a problem. Oh, it was funny. It's funny when I went, we went to the, it was Denver, Chicago last year and I was in the stands and it was funny. My second, second time going third, third Bronco game, second there. Uh, but it was funny. Every time it was a holding call, everybody in the crowd is yelling 72 because they know it is. And so, since, since they drafted him in 20, you know, unfortunately for Garrett, the highlight of his NFL career is holding up his son like uh, Simba. Yeah, when he got drafted. Got drafted yeah. That was the yeah. high point, and there ain't been much high since then. Not, nothing since then. Um, so if we if we get through this NFL season, um, what are your predictions as far as MVP, Super Bowl picks? Who you got? Well, look, (laughs) I mean, nobody's done it since the Patriots in Super Bowls 38 and 39. And I get it. The AFC's a tough conference. I know where you're going with this. Find me a reason (laughs) to not say the Kansas City Chiefs are going to do it. Um, They kept almost everybody before the opt-out. They had 22 of 24 starters returning from the team that won the Super Bowl. Damian Williams opted out, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire slides into that spot. And I'm telling you, if you have a fantasy draft, pick him up when you can, because he is a perfect fit for what Andy Reid and Eric Biannimi want to do in that offense. And Joe Brady, who's now Carolina, uh, was on the offensive side of LSU when they used Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He was a perfect fit for that offense. I mean, it was a perfect fit. And he is going to more than admirably fill in for Damian Williams, he's going to be an absolute gem. I, I, I mean, I, look, nothing is guaranteed, but you know, Mahomes admitted last year, halfway through the season, was is when he first really started learning how to pre-snap read things. I mean, like if you really watch him play, he is not a polished product yet. He's just a gift from the football gods, and once he gets that part of it down, uh, there's. There's not a defensive coordinator that'll sleep for a week the night before they have to play this guy. And, you know, people accuse me of being way too hyperbole about him. Just watch the tape, man. I mean, there's not a throw he can't make. There's not a play he can't do. And once he has a better understanding of the mechanics of playing the position, like Peyton Manning did a great job breaking down his first season on detail thing on ESPN plus mm-hmm. just simple mechanical things uh, that obviously everybody else has to do because they don't have his gifts. But once he starts doing that better, I'm telling you, he's going down as the, like Brady is the goat right now. That that's with an asterisk at the moment. 
because Patrick Mahomes is going to be that guy when it's all said and done. Hard to argue that. Hard to argue that. So yeah, I'm guessing he's your MVP pick for this year. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? But uh, the last four years, I, we did it. The, the actual MVP was not in the – it was like outside of 35 to 1. I'll tell you something to keep an eye on is Dak Prescott. Oh, okay. um, oh, Dane would love to hear this. He's a Cowboy fan. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I still don't know what the Cowboys' plan was to pay everybody except their franchise quarterback. And I, this might be his last year there. But you have Zeke. Uh, you have Amari Cooper. You have Michael Gallup. And now you bring in CeeDee Lamb. I mean, that's as good of a receiving core as you're going to find anywhere in the NFL outside the Legion of Zoom in Kansas City. So I think Dak Prescott was nine passing yards short of breaking Tony Romo's franchise record last year, and I don't see any reason why that's not going to go in the right direction this year. And the best thing about Dak is, what do we always say in football? The best ability is availability. He missed a game. Like, they pulled him out of some games or they've, they've sat him, but he hasn't missed a game due to injury in his career. He is a, you know, you know, he got the name Dak, right? His full name Dakota, is Ray Dakota, Dakota, Dakota Prescott. Yeah. Uh, and his mother uh, or somebody was a fan of the uh, cartoon, the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. And it's all about these cowboys. I did bulls. not know that. And the biggest, baddest bull in that show was, was- Dakota. <laughs> and so that's why his name is Rain Dakota Prescott. Wow. And he is a big, strong bull. Like he is built to take the poundings of the NFL. And I think the Cowboys are going to really regret uh, not locking him up long term because you wait. If he hits the free agent market, you watch how many teams will be rushing to sign him. So you got, I'm guessing you got Cowboys Chiefs then. <laughs> Well, no. I mean, look, I, I'll just joke it. <laughs> uh, Lamar Jackson was the MVP last year, and he didn't get to the Super Bowl. Um, like, they're gonna—it's either gonna be them or the Eagles in the NFC East. I can promise right. you that. The Eagles are just getting decimated with injuries, especially right. on the offensive line up front. You know, the NFC is interesting. Like Seattle and San Francisco are always going to be there. San Francisco was the number one seed a year ago, and they've basically kept everybody. But remember how San Francisco got the number one seed last year. It took the last, last play yeah. of the last game of the regular yeah. season at the goal line. Right. Uh, a, 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 a goal line fourth down play for them to get the number one seed instead of falling all, all the way to the number five seed. You also have the Saints. I think the Saints are in great position because in a year of great uncertainty and in a year where nothing has been normal, you know, you had free agents that you signed in March and then players that you drafted in April – and you could not work them out in any way, shape, or form until late July. So there were no OTAs. There were no mini camps. There was none of that. Uh, stability and veteran leadership matters more than ever. And the only real change for the Saints was they finally got a number two receiver in Emmanuel Sanders to go alongside Mike Thomas. I, I, would, I would be hard-pressed to find a way that you couldn't say the Saints have to be considered the prohibitive favorite in the NFC this year. I appreciate you so much, Trey, for joining me, man. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, give you a question, this question to go out. Um, last night, we lost a legend to me in Chadwick Bozeman. Um, for me, as a black man in America, to see someone on screen as a superhero really inspired me. And of course, millions of people that look like me to believe in themselves and strive to achieve their goals. And to know that he was sick, of course, nobody knew except his close ones, I'm assuming. And for him to be able to do all these commitments, movies, things that I enjoy so much, uh, of course, the portrayal of Jackie Robinson. Um, 
he he's really a real life superhero. Um, yeah. Is there something specifically that stands out to you in regards to the impact that he had? Well, two things. One, he died at 42 on the day that baseball was supposed to honor Jackie Robinson's 42. Right. Um, the other thing that just it was remarkable to me is that, you know, when I when that crossed yesterday, I was like, I had no idea it was sick. Yeah. Nobody had any idea it was sick. Yeah. He was filming these movies, Black Panther, Endgame, you know, uh, 42, all these movies while he was battling this this horrible disease and no one knew it. You know, and so many times you see so many things that are public for so many people and they put it out there and, and, you know, he chose not to, and that was his right. And I respected the hell out of him for that. But to know that he was doing all those incredible things and those inspirational things while he was battling this in silence was absolutely remarkable to me. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I, to what you said, there, there have been so many instances of people posting things about him that inspired them and they had had before they even knew he was sick and before yeah. they knew he had passed away. Uh, it is remarkable to see that life is not about longevity so much, but while you're able to do the things you do, what kind of impact you can have on people. And I think that's the thing I'll remember about Chadwick more than anything else. Most definitely. I appreciate you so much, Trey, for joining me. Um, every time Dane and I have a guest, we like to we like to give the guests an opportunity to shout out anything, uh, social media, anything you want to promote, anything like that to, to our listeners or viewers. No, man. Here's what I would say. Life is an adventure and it's to be lived. Don't ever let anybody tell you what you should be doing. Run your own race at your own time. And you know what? Being happy is the best thing. Don't ever get don't ever get it twisted with success, fame, power, money, control. Be happy. Do the things that make you happy, and you will have a life well lived. Well said. Well said. I appreciate you so much. If you're listening or watching, it's Trey Wingo, ESPN personality, and you're listening to the Duo Sports and Stuff podcast. Thank you. Thank you. In my culture, death is not the end. It's more of a stepping off point. You reach out with both hands and bust and segment. They lead you into the green veld where you can run forever. <laughs>